the important thing to understand about the price of oil at this point is a lot of us and a lot of writing and journalists and so on are referring back to the 70s and 80s, 1970s, 1980s, when oil was a big piece of the economy. Yeah. Oil is not as big a piece of the economy today as it was then. And we do a lot of things without burning oil that we used to burn oil to do. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring... Jeff. And Jake. McClure. And we did it. Did we did we, did we, did it? We did, did we it. it. We, we oh, said our names. Wow. Oh my wow. goodness. Oh, we're so excited we can say our names. We, wow. In unison. It's a little hard. A collective 110 years of practice. And we finally got to where we can say our names together. Yes, sometimes. Yeah. Enough so that when we do it, we celebrate. It's amazing. Mm. <clears throat> right. So we are the personal wealth coach. Not only do we try to be in sync with our voices, uh, with often failure being the outcome, but sometimes success, uh, we also offer views, opinions, facts on the economy on finance, all that good stuff. Um, but before we get started on that, we have some disclosures that we need to do. Would you like to mm -hmm. begin? He's going to tell. What do we be? Oh, yes. I can, I can begin with the fact that the personal wealth coach is not only the name of a radio program, it's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisor uh, based in Salado, Texas. And the two guys here are also principals at the investment advisor. But the fact that I said SEC at the beginning has no meaning it does not mean does not yet yeah, has meaning. It means it that meaning. we're registered with the SEC. It's just that the SEC neither approves nor disapproves of anything we do. Well, they can they will be ready to disapprove, but they never really approve of anything that we do. Right. We, uh, as he said, registered with the SEC, but that doesn't mean that they give us a thumbs up on anything. Uh, in fact, uh, the opposite is always the case, and that the S Securities and Exchange Commission does not advocate for anyone. Um, they advocate for the public, not for companies. So this is for their, for their good. All right. Can you hear me better now or can I hear you better? I can hear you just fine. Perfect. You're not popping anymore. So you want to give the, good. the deem? The information that we present on this educational, not, in, not advisory program, even though the, we, it is the personal wealth coach, we're not actually trying to coach you as to wealth. We're not giving investment advice. We're giving but education. The information we give, right. The educational information that we provide on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the completeness or accuracy of said information. There you go. Now you have been very thoroughly legalistic. Um, we're not guaranteeing anything. We're not warranting anything, but we're going to say it anyway. <laughs> we, could say, we could say investment values may be higher or lower when purchased and sold. Or, or, sold. E or even... If they're not purchased and sold. Right. Yeah. Maybe. No. Will be. They will be will different. Be. If it's an investment, it will be. Yeah. All right. And uh, let's see. We've got another one. We don't pay for this radio program. We're not paid to do the radio program. We do advertise on the radio station for the program, but so does the radio station. 
So we're in partnership in advertising it, but we don't pay for it. This we've been doing this for whew, a long time. We've got we've been uh, old older Baldy, Elder Baldy. Is that more respectful? Is uh, responsible for having started this radio program back in 1996, which some of the listeners weren't born yet. What happened this week in the market? Well, the S&P 500 stock index closed at 4,500.53. And I say that up front and notably because I really like it when the S&P 500 has a nice round number like 4,500. Because you can benchmark and say, okay, it was at 45. Remember when it was at 4,500? Why don't people so, use crazy random numbers for, for their milestones? You remember when the S&P 500 broke through 4,321.73? It's well, it's kind of like the date last week that I will remember 22222 0202022. Right, and uh, just, we won't get another one of those like that. No, for no, but over we'll, a thousand years. But when we get to the 22nd of this month, we'll get 0222022. Right, that's not quite as it's not good as 0202. I, I like it. See, see this zero two two. This quibble between who prefers what number order, round numbers, repeating numbers. Headlines understand this stuff, and so we had a headline number of forty five hundred, which is pretty awesome. Right. So we had forty five hundred point five three to be exact. It was up one point five five percent for the week. Now, if you weren't following anything that happened in the market news during the week, you would say, "Okay, well, okay, that's nice. What's special about that?" Well. There was a, 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 according to the news, people were being slaughtered left and right. There was pandemonium, yeah. explosions, and other nasty things happening. And we had the greatest loss of value in a single stock in the history of the stock market last week. In a single day. This week, in a single day. And we had the greatest gain in the value of a stock, of stock in a single day. The stock market in a single day. They and weren't they were the same stock. Days right next to each other. Right. Yeah. They were different stocks. <laughs> Meta, which used to be formerly called Facebook, uh, had the greatest loss of value in in a single day ever seen in the stock market. And the next day, Amazon had the greatest gain in absolute value that we've seen. When do you think Amazon's going to change their name? I mean, Google became no. Alphabet. We got Facebook becoming Meta. Apple hasn't really changed. They changed their logo to have a bite out of it. You know uh, why? Or, yeah, because... Apple Music was the Beatles record production company and they got yeah. sued for copyright infringement. And so they responded in legal trademark. court. Trademark. Uh, tra trademark infringement. And so they responded by saying, we will never get into the music business, mm -hmm. um, which they have since forgotten about and have gotten Well, they the took a bite game. out of the Apple. Yeah, that, and that makes a big part of it. That's, now which, it's no longer way, trademark because there's a bite out of the Apple. Which, by the way, upset certain people who are biblical-oriented. The 4,500 number was up 1.55% for the week. And it was really a crazy week up and down with panic and panic buy. There was both panic buying on Friday and panic selling on Wednesday. Uh, so that's the way the market's going. The market, the, the S&P 500 is still down 5.57% this year, which sounds terrible, but it's up 15.79% from last year at this time. It's up 101.15% from, if you, if you have really long memory, 
and you can think back all the way to 2020 in the spring of 2020 when the market was collapsing and the world was coming to an end and the newspaper was saying and then in the television stations and well the internet television stations were saying bail out bail out now the world is coming to an end or something like that well it's up 101.15 percent from there um so that's what's going on and and we follow another index and it's an important index because it's a first off it's a value index whereas the s p 500 tends to lean towards growth stocks growth stocks are uh, the value is based on what people think, the consensus of what people think earnings will be in the future from that company, whereas value stocks are generally tend to be based on the intrinsic value of the company. The CRSP mid-cap value index uh, closed the week at 25, 28.85. That's up 1.4%. But importantly, it's only down 2.63% this year. And what we're, we monitor that for a reason. One thing, there seems to be a shift going on, a rotation is called, from large cap growth stocks, which are the high flyers that make the headlines, like Facebook and Amazon. And it seems to be that the market sentiment is shifting over towards smaller stocks, which is why we like to look at mid cap, which is not large cap, it's smaller than mid cap, that's good. And value. So mid-cap value, we're tracking to see just exactly how much the shift is going on. And so far, the last year, the shift has been notable, and we continue to follow that. The other side of the market, the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, and it did really well. It's sort of the, the yield on it did well. If you were holding notes, if you're holding bonds, you're probably really unhappy. I'm just looking at the Morningstar's total bond market index. Uh, it's down 3% this year. It was down one point something percent last year when the stock market was up. So basically, you're down, if, if you held the something that emulated or got, came close to emulating the total bond market index, that particular investment is probably down about 5% over the last two years. Um, but the reason it went down is because interest rates went up. And in the 10-year note, which is uh, kind treasury. of a benchmark for all this, the, the treasury, note. treasury note. Yeah. Yeah. Is up is it is yielding one point nine one point nine one three percent. Now let's compare that. Last year at the beginning of the year, beginning of twenty twenty one, it was yielding 0.91%. So it is well the interest, the yield on it has more than doubled, which means if you were holding a 10-year treasury note at the beginning of last year and you own one and you looked at the value, the market values today, it would be substantially lower. Uh so that's What's going on in the bond market? The 30-year note did rise, not note, the 30-year bond, treasury bond rose to up to 2.214. And the important thing in here is to note that at one end of the treasury yield curve, the short end, uh, at 90 days, the yield is 0.025. It's little. It's a very tiny yield, almost zero on a 90-day T-bill. And it goes to... 1.91% at 10 years and 2. Point, what did I say 2.214% at the other end which means it's a steep curve fairly steep curve it goes from almost zero to 2.214%. The thing to watch out for in the bond market particularly as far as the whole economy is concerned is if the short term 90 day T bill or 2 year or 5 year was paying more interest it had a higher yield than the 20 or 30 year notes and bonds that's called an inverted yield curve and, and generally means 
batten down the hatches. There's a recession on the way. We're not seeing that at all, though. We're seeing the reverse of that, and it's important to keep an eye on the whole thing. Uh, can, um, let me interject something here. We're, we're educating, so let's do that real quick. I'm gonna, um, there's a vast amount of confusion in the bond market or about the bond market. Most people don't understand it at all. So I'm going to give a very quick kind of um, big chief tablet with a crayon explanation because the, the simpleness of it is what we should be focused on. The bond market is just a bunch of loans. You can think of it as any loan you want. The short ones are called um, bills, and the middle-range ones are called notes, and the long-range ones are called bonds. So if it's a bill, it's something you pay and you're done with every month, like your electric bill. You pay it off. You pay it off every month. That's short-term. A note is something that it's like a reminder to pay this every month into the future. It's a different amount being, uh, it's the same amount being paid every month into the future where your electric bill is going to change every month. Okay, now go out to the bond. If you're way out there, it's, you need to be like really promising to pay this back and your word is your bond. So the long-term ones are bonds and they tend to have higher interest rates. And the short-term ones are bills, like your electric bill. The ones in the middle are the notes. So people throw those words around, and most people don't know the difference. So I'm giving the easiest way to remember it that I can. Okay, right. now on the to other, the next part. The other thing we follow in markets uh, is the price of oil, because it's another indicator about what's going on out there. And that takes a little bit of analysis to figure out why the price goes up and down. But the price of oil... Joined in, it rose 5.32% to $91.93 a barrel, which kind of confirms what we were talking about last week. Um, there's a, the people who follow this very carefully and have good records on being able to see what's happening in the future um, are suggesting we're going to have $100 per barrel oil by this summer. And I think we're getting close enough that that's probably yeah. true. Why? It, well, and, Ukraine well, and shipping issues and fracking well, issues and mm -hmm. those ahead. are there kazakhstan is there there's there's some there's some risks out there but the primary reason at least according to the analysts that i've read that the price of oil crept up this week and crept up the week before um the big the, the rise this week was driven by the employment report you can see the price of oil jump right after the employment right. report comes out now why, why does employment affect the price of oil because we created far more jobs and we'll get into that in the rest of the program that's a probably the biggest subject of the day yeah, big part we created the, the the consensus among economists was that we were going to lose 150,000 jobs in january in the united states mm -hmm. and we gained uh 467,000 jobs instead and then they ratcheted up november and december's numbers so that there's we the, the united states basically created in the last three months a million new new employees. Now, now I'm going to go in, completely in character here and say, and pat ourselves on the back. Ow. I just reached my shoulder out of socket. Ow. Okay. Um, because we predicted job growth in January, big job growth. Uh, we mm -hmm. said this is going to continue through, uh, and you can go back and listen to us talk about it in December. And, uh, at the beginning of the month in December, we had some reruns play toward the end of the month, but we're talking about job growth 
ahead in January and February because we couldn't see how it wouldn't happen even with, with Omicron on the rise at that point. Now it's on the, on the drop. The other thing we was in the newsletter that we talked about was the fact that the unemployment and the job growth numbers in November and December were so out of whack. We felt the job growth numbers were way too low. And we gave an estimate of about 700,000, 780, I think it was thousand more jobs were, were created than the labor department was able to count. And sure enough, that's about what it boils down to. The bottom line to it is in the last 90 days, and there's some other, there's another thing that happened in the last 90 days. It's pretty impressive concerning labor. We'll get into about productivity. But in the last 90 days, the United States, the, the economy of the United States employed at least a million more people than it did, than it did the previous quarter. We added a million new filled jobs in the United States in the last 90 days, ending at the end of January. That is just phenomenal. Now, interestingly enough, the unemployment rate went up from 3.9 to 4. So why, if we're, if we're adding so many jobs and so many people are being hired, why did the unemployment rate go up? Well, the reason is the participation rate went up too. Apparently, now that wages are starting up and they rose about 5.7% last year on average, uh, we're seeing a lot of people who are saying, mm, I think I'll go to work now. And the other thing is the Omicron beginning to fade on the East Coast is a, is a plus. So people are beginning to think it's maybe this just, thing is over. Maybe they're just, just tired of not working. It's fading here too. Right. Um, I've, I've had meetings this week and talked with a whole series of people and the numbers of people hospitalized in, in Central Texas is dropping as well. So most of the places that have already felt the really nasty impact, a really high impact of this extra virulent strain are getting better now. And the places that are just beginning to experience it are still on the upward rise. So more of the rural area is getting hit later. So the, the less metropolitan hospitals are still seeing upticks in, in hospital admissions, but the big cities are starting to see the drops in, in admission. Their deaths are going up, unfortunately, but there's a lag on that. All right. Well, that's kind of the market. Um, We've got. And some... by the way, go ahead. Con concerning mm -hmm. the market, mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of angst out there. Mm -hmm. But uh, and and there's certainly several, mostly perma beers who are saying this is a bubble and it's going to collapse. Wait, but did the you guys say who are saying perma beer, perma bears, perma bear? Okay, I was thinking uh, uh, they're perma beer. That sounds really no, good, actually. They're perma bears. They always they're always. Jeremy Grantham and, and yeah. several other people who continually say the market is phenomenally overpriced and is due for a crash are saying it's due for a crash and they're getting headlines because the market wobbled around this last week. It just ain't in the cards, folks. There's a lot of things that will cause the stock market to crash. But the bottom line to the stock market, and this is something that John Templeton harped on for a long time, and I completely totally agree, agree with him is that it is an issue of supply and demand. It's that simple. If people have cash and the stock market is looks like it will probably pay them back better than someplace else where they could put their money for 10 years or so, odds are the stock market has room to go up. It may bounce around. It may fluctuate. It may do a lot of things. 
but it's unlikely to crash. And one of the key ways of looking at this, and, and I've seen it, it in the short term, it doesn't mean a lot. In the long term, it means quite a bit. You look at the earnings yield at any given moment on the S&P 500 stock index, which you can just type in earnings yield S&P 500 stock index in Google, compared with the 10-year treasury yield, consistently over time, if the earnings yield in the S&P 500 is higher than the earnings yield, than, than, the, than the interest yield on the 10-year treasury, we have room to see the market go up. When that reverses, if you ever want a time that batting down the hatches and, and thinking, okay, I got to keep my, get my cash reserves built up. Don't bail out of the market. Don't try to time it. But you definitely want to be concerned when you see those reverse. It's kind of like the yield curve. When you see those numbers reverse where you can get more interest by owning a 10-year treasury bond than you can get uh, earnings yield out of the S&P 500, we're on shaky ground. Yeah, Just something to mark down in your book someplace. Anyway, uh, we move on to something else. Yeah, we have, we have the, the question from Sonny. Yes, um, the question from Sonny about inflation. Yes, he said he started listening late, and you may have discussed this, but how will the short supply of oil and high price impact inflation and rate increases? Could it cause a recession? Do you want to take that one? Well, for starters, we'll probably get to $100 a barrel, and it will probably not cause a recession it is influencing inflation, and it's not influencing inflation the way you might think. Now, as far as the, the price of gasoline is concerned, what's happening in, this, in, in the economy today is that people have a certain amount of money, which is more than they've ever had before, by the way, and in, in absolute and, and relative terms. And they, if the price of gasoline goes up, they just spend more of that money on gasoline and less on something else it's not likely to cause a collapse in the economy. Now, $100 a barrel oil back in 1973 was given a big chunk of the credit for creating a recession. Uh, that's but adjusted that for inflation. Adjusted for inflation. Was, it was very, very much, it's, it's more, that $100 was equivalent roughly of $500 a barrel, which means instead of oil being between 3 and $4, it would be between 15 and $20 per gallon and that would cause a recession but we don't there's it's not going that's not likely to happen uh as a matter of fact it's extremely unlikely to happen because there's we have much more oil available as far as the the price of oil causing recession not it's extremely unlikely it, it could be a contributing factor at some point but it's extremely unlikely the it, it is going to inf impact inflation to some degree and the reason it impacts and impacts inflation is because very simply Ships crossing the Pacific Ocean burn oil. Airlines burn oil. So the transportation cost of getting something to you, that something physical to you that you have bought that's manufactured someplace else, which is just about everything, would go up. Or the profits of the company are going to go down. So, yeah, the higher price of oil could in impact inflation. On the other hand, oil is reaching the point where it becomes profitable to produce more oil. The reason, one of the reasons the price of oil is going up at this point, other than just higher demand, the oil producers in the Permian Basin and elsewhere are having the same problem everyone else is having. They can't hire more people at this point to drill for oil, to produce more oil. So the supply of oil is pretty fixed at this point. 
Saudi Arabia, contrary to popular belief, is basically pumping about as much as they reasonably can pump at this point. And both, so, both Saudi and Russia agreed to yeah. increase production in their last meeting, and they haven't been able to because right. they can't. They don't have the capacity to produce more. Um, and just give you a little historical context, in June of 2008, oil was at $140 a barrel. Well, that was like right as the recession was starting, so I could see... Maybe we could say that's the same, but it really isn't because from the uh, end of 2010 all the way up to, oh, 2014, oil consistently was above $100 a barrel, and we didn't see a lot of inflation there. So the inflation will be influenced by that higher price, but it's a it's less of an impact than it used to be. Another thing is there was a there were a million electric cars are roughly sold by Tesla last year. Um, the number of electric cars are going up. The number of solar panels that are providing uh, energy and uh, wind power and nuclear power, all of the other alternatives are growing at the same time that oil use is shrinking. So $100 a barrel means something different today than it did even 10 years ago. Uh, it doesn't have as big an impact on our economy. It's still an impact, don't get me wrong, but it's it's diminishing as like the single cause of a recession. In the 1970s, it was a big enough increase that that was easily the single cause of the recession with some other bad decisions thrown in there. There was a study that came out last week, and I really I can't cite the source. I could look it up and find it someplace, but that indicated that the known shale reserves based on the technology we have today, if the uh, drilling and pumping remained pretty much, in other words, continuing to expand the capacity at a moderate rate of speed was good for about 10 more years. Yeah, the study was from uh, the EIA, uh, Energy Information Administration, mm -hmm. and it was the year in 2020, U.S. crude and natural gas Proved reserves, proven reserves, and that's what you're talking about. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and, and of course, there could be some unproven, probably are unproven reserves someplace, and technology could advance. But the bottom line to it is we have ample oil available if we want to take it to last us the next 10 years or so in the economy. And I don't think it's, it, I think it's an interesting coincidence, if nothing else, that the European Union and the United States, 10 years from now, will be probably burning less oil than we are today because we have made a commitment for the biggest use of oil, which is automotive to switch over to electricity. And admittedly you have to, in many cases, burn something to make electricity and what we're burning to make electricity in many cases is natural gas, which there's an abundance of still. Now, so there's another thing to look at though. There's a shortage of lithium now. So lithium's used in the batteries, and there's a mm -hmm. lot of folks, the Warren Buffett's company, there's a whole bunch of companies out there exploring, trying to find places to mine lithium. And we've got a lot of proven reserves of that. Uh, there's one lake in California that's, it's a hot lake because it's got hot springs underneath it, that has enough lithium in it to produce annually more lithium than has been produced by the world to this point, annually. Now, that's a really dirty process, and doing dirty mining in California comes with extra expenses. But now we're talking about the same sort of 
innovation that took place when oil went up to $140 a barrel in 2008. Well, what happened to keep that price down? Fracking. It took prices being that high for it to be worthwhile to spend the money to develop the technology to get the oil out of rock. It is a rock. It is not oil. Put a rock in a car and it won't run. You got to get oil out of the rock somehow. But that's what petroleum means. It's rock oil. Exactly. And it's just more rock than oil and when you're fracking it. So that's where the word fracking comes from, fracturing the rock in so many different ways that the rock itself becomes a soup and you can filter it out of the oil. So it takes high prices for us to find better technology. It takes full employment for us to develop technology to increase productivity beyond just hiring more people to do the same work. So these are growing pains. We did not see runaway deflation when oil was down in the negative territory or at $10 a barrel for April of 2020. So oil as, a, as an indicator is valid, but it's certainly just one piece of a much larger puzzle. The, the important thing to understand about the price of oil at this point is a lot of us in a lot of writing and journalists and so on are referring back to the 70s and 80s, 1970s, 1980s, when oil was a big piece of the economy. Yeah. Oil is not as big a piece of the economy today as it was then. And we do a lot of things without burning oil that we used to burn oil to do. For example, we, it is far more efficient to have Amazon deliver a bunch of stuff to my door than it is for me to keep driving back and forth to various stores to buy those same things. So we actually reduce by, by ordering something from Amazon or ordering it online from B&H or wherever you order things from and having them delivered to your door is actually helping. It's like carpooling you your groceries. Or it's right. Carpooling pooling your Walmart. It's carpooling everything. And working from home is reducing the cost of the, reducing the amount of petroleum we burn. So to the point where one of the things that needs to be addressed by Congress, which has been notably not addressed, is the fact that the road building program in the United States is based almost entirely on revenue from taxes on gasoline and, and right. diesel. So how is it that, that Tesla owners are contributing to our highway system? They're not, except through other taxes that they're paying, just not gasoline taxes. And so at some point we've got, to, it's, it's, it's kind of like the property tax paying for the school. There it is a, that is something that is got to come to an end at some point. Got to figure out a better method. Yeah. We've got to have a better way because profoundly unfair in many ways. Wait a minute. Fair, fair is a concept that everyone has their own definition for. We share some of that definition but it doesn't really exist outside our brains. So applying that to taxes, when everybody has a different definition, because both sides say pay your fair share, and for some reason they mean different things by the same statement. Well, when you have a small number, relatively small percentage of the people paying for something and a large percentage of the people getting Using advantage it. from that something. Right. That's an imbalance. You got an imbalance, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, we're seeing more toll roads. When new when new highways are built, it's toll roads because everybody who uses the road ultimately winds up paying for the road. Yeah, Tesla owners even pay for the road at that point. Yeah, and that's or, good. 
F-150 Lightning or any of the other electric ones coming out? That was a good question. Thanks, Sonny. All right. So, yeah, we are about out of time this hour. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we have another hour coming up as well. If so, you don't need to leave. But if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have email addresses waiting. Uh, you can um, send to Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, and you can sign up for newsletters and you can go to any podcast provider you want uh, to listen to podcasts. You can contact us through the contact form on the webpage. Uh, you can, all of our staff are on there. Our made for radio faces are appearing when you log into that site. I'm sorry. We, it's, I know the EPA has been mad at us for scaring away the birds in the area just by walking around. So, uh, if you want to contact us, that's the way to do it until next hour. This has been the personal wealth coach.